this is not another one of those cast pod thingies, <laughs> is it? Tajan's man, I yeah, know it. I know it. Yeah, I know it too. I really do. Same time, yes. Welcome back to Taz Yarns. Thanks for dropping in, switching over from Yarns and Others and Taz. Or if you're a newcomer, hell yeah. The last episode with Erin McGinty last couple of weeks ago, we got some good feedback. Joe Basado says, Thanks for the potty, learn a lot, and it's going to make her want to go out and go spearing a lot more. Like just, just from a couple of words from Erin, and yep, we've got another, another girl in the water. Well done. Zen Toppin says, Mate, the podcast's awesome, they're a good laugh, keep them coming. Thanks for the feedback, peeps. And um, today's episode is going to be with the, the coolest dude I've met in the podcast world, Isaac Daly, also known as, or aka, Shrek from the Noob Spiro podcast. It's one of the best podcasts that come out bi-weekly or fortnightly, however you want to say it. And I look forward to it. And I think it's nearly every Wednesday one pops up, every second Wednesday one pops up. So give him a follow. Check him out, and here we go. Take it away, Shrek. Yeah. There we go. I've got to click continue here. Do I want to? No. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, you good. good with your setup? Yeah, everything's everything's the same. Hopefully. Tip top and in Tip top and in all right, we're here with Shrek Isaac Daly from the Noob Spiro podcast. How are you going, buddy? Hey, loving that energy. It's fantastic to be with you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> we got the beach behind us. You've got a big school of fish behind you. You're like, yep. how awesome is this? <laughs> we've we've, been we've up. made it. <laughs> that picture there is part of my like the podcast artwork. It's actually um, Tim McDonald took that photo of Daniel Mann and I stole their photo and used it as podcast artwork. Oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> On your boys. <laughs> yeah. The old, the old surgeon fish, the grey tail surgeon fish. Nice. And, um, the, um, so your podcast, Noob Spiro, it's like, mate, it comes out by, by they call it bi-weekly. Why can't they say fortnightly? In America, they don't know what fortnight means. <laughs> Except for a shit game. Yeah. Well, my son loves it, but anyway. Yeah, my my son's actually on Roblox at the moment. It's like it's the next fortnight. Yeah, I hear about this. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, don't worry, he'll be on it. (laughs) That's the next step I heard. (laughs) So yeah, you so you it's a you you're kind of a big deal in the podcast world in Australia and the in the spearing side of things. It's like, yeah. Always look forward to it every two weeks. Just awesome. You got awesome guests, and it's just I just well put together podcast, and um, someone to look look up to in the podcast world. So yeah, it's all all guns are blazing for Shrek and the Noob Sparrows. It's going well. So what? Where? How? How did all that start? Um, I was working a manufacturing job, uh, of which I hated. And um, but basically, like it was a takeoff area in a plasterboard factory, and it had come out at like eighty-five meters a minute or whatever. And then the you'd configure all these machines to basically just um, stack and um, 
put these things into piles and straighten all the boards and stuff. And um, sometimes you'd have these massive issues and you'd have to be really onto it and just do all this stuff very quickly. And um, But for 99% of the time, you just sat there doing nothing. And I started listening to um, a business podcast called Entrepreneur on Fire. And basically, this dude ran a podcast seven days a week. They were like 25-minute interviews with um, different entrepreneurs and business people from all over the world, different ideas, all crazy different like type businesses and stuff. And they just share their story and a little bit of what they learned along the way. And I started listening to that and I got hooked and I started listening like, you know, um, I'd listen to frigging 10 or 15 interviews a night. And then, you know, like I'd find other, and then I started finding other podcasts and stuff. And I just remember him talking about like, um, you know, you know, finding a, a, a space, a, a thing you care about, and then just serving the people in that space. And and uh, I, I like that, and I like podcasting, so I thought, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to help people start spearfishing and get better at it. So, And I thought, and I'll get better at myself, you know, because I'd only been spearing for, I think, three or four years. So, yeah. Yep. So he had, so um, there was another full of turbo at the start, was there? Sure. Yeah. Turbo? I, yeah. I a, a few stories so, about that. So Wayne Judge, um, who's a works at Adreno down here, he's a very well regarded like freediving coach and um, and a very experienced Spiro. And he was running this um, before it was uh, the Brisbane Bull Sharks. It was just um, Wayne Judge's um, spearfishing fitness training, and we just met up in a pool to do this fitness program in a pool and work on technique for spearfishing and stuff. And um, I met Turbo there and a, another great bunch of guys and. Um, I had this business idea, but I thought I, I just want another character to do it with, you know. And uh, so I hit Turbo up to have a inverted commas business meeting at McDonald's, and I unleashed to him the grand vision of Noob Spiro, which is basically, you know, like what it's becoming now, but like seven years on. And um, and he's a funny bastard, like, and I used to have you know, a hell of a lot of fun just riffing with him. Like really, really loved having a, co- uh, you know, a co-host and just, because we'd always take the piss out of each other and, man, it was fun. Yeah, it's always I, miss, I, still, I still miss it now, you know, but. <laughs> it's always good to lean on someone too. Like I know how many times in my last podcast as I think, oh, mate, I'm, we'd get to the end of a conversation and, and he'd look at me and we'd look at him and we're like, oh, shit, what's next? And, yeah, it's just like, the, yeah. like if you can keep it a yarn like I try to do, it's just try to let it flow, like drinking piss yeah. around a campfire or sitting at a pub talking crap to your mate and that's how it's yeah, but going. Un- unlike a real conversation around a campfire, like podcasting, there's always an impetus to keep, to keep it flowing and going mm. because like when you're around a campfire with your mates and that, there's these ebbs and flows. Like <laughs> a conversation start and finish in these five minutes just staring at the fire and drinking a beer and, you know, you're not doing anything. Whereas if you did that in a podcast, people would be like, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> so like, someone has to keep the frigging thing going. And um, Turbo, to be to be honest, uh, was pretty shit at that. Like I'd be throwing pens at him like, you ask the next question. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and I'd draw, you know, we'd – We'd be talking to someone like some famous person in the spearfishing world and be drawing like uh, pictures of caricatures of each other, you know, like, you know, just stupid dick pics and stuff like that. And <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, that was our interviews. They, they started off very low grade and very low quality, but a lot of fun. 
<laughs> well, like as always, I brought up in the last podcast. Uh, as his biggest one was, he'd ask a question, but it ran for five minutes, and you could see yeah. the poor person that he asked was just sitting there, like, "Okay, what was the question?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I then knew that. say cool. like, "Hey, he said this." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, and that's what you can do. Like when there's two of you, it's like you. You, you kind of realize and you work with each other with strengths and weaknesses and that, and somehow it all works. And I really enjoyed having Turbo. I, I, I still miss him, but, um, you know, life changes and things move on and, and, and you just, you just keep rolling with it. And, um, the banter and having a co-host is just unbelievable. He's a funny bastard, eh? Like he's proper funny. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, a hundred percent miss that, but, um, I've carried on solo now. You know, and I think 50 or 60 episodes without him. So I just carry, carry on rolling. Yep, I can I can detect a um a Kiwi accent. What's going on there? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I a bit more about this this accent. I grew up in New Zealand, and uh, yeah, no, I was born in Nelson, which is like top of the South Island, and uh, but like I think I was four or five, and my parents moved up. My dad's family is all from the sort of the top of the South Island, and my mum's family are all from Taranaki, which is um if you look at the North Island in New Zealand, they call it the Bum. Um, it's on the west coast. It's three hours north of Wellington, and it sort of sticks out a bit. It's a big yep. mountain in the middle called uh, Mount Taranaki or Mount Egmont, and um, yeah, and I grew up there. It's a big farming area. Um, yep, and uh, love the water. Straight away into you know life saving and uh, in a pool and in the ocean, competitive swimming, um, surfing, boogie boarding. Uh, Cold you know, over there. <laughs> Yeah, man, headache, headache, cold in the winter, eh? Like, headache, cold. And I just remember splitting wetsuits and wearing two or three different ones to try and get out boogie boarding in the winter. And you, as soon as you do that first duck dive, you just get a, like like that ice cream headache and just be like, oh. But uh, persevered, and you know, it was always a good day. I love. I just oh, we've always lost. loved being out in the water. Lost you for a little bit there, mate. <laughs> but it's all good. We get that understanding that you you love being out on the water. Bloody Zoom and the bloody internet, isn't it? North Queensland style internet. <laughs> <laughs> but, At least they're not like bloody South Africa with blackouts. Like, what do they call them? Like, at the moment, they're having like times where they don't have power during the oh, day. Yeah, they're doing that in China as well. But my hometown, I actually I did a little bit up in China. We might get. To I heard that in one podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. So I do see, I do listen to your podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope I'm not going to get quizzed on it. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> so do you eat mandarins or you know it? <laughs> I, sp- I speak, uh, well, I was speaking like to sort of like very low level conversational level while I was there. Like I had, I, I, I went and taught English there for a year. Like I got divorced. Um, six or seven years ago and I sort of worked on a mission. I was like, I'm going to do all the shit I wanted to do when I was growing up and I just never yep. got to do because I got married and stuff. And uh, one of those things was um, taking off overseas, like proper overseas where they, you know, it's a really different cultural context and having a you know, more or less being forced to learn another language because at school I was – I just couldn't learn another language. No matter how hard I tried, even with Duolingo and all these other clever apps and shit these days, I, I still wasn't able to stick to learning something that had no practical application as far as I could see. Yeah. So anyway, so my, I decided I was going to move to China. So I moved to China to teach English. 
And uh, so I did have two like English, uh, like um, sorry, Chinese lessons every week. And I forced myself to try and speak it all the time, despite the laughter, the awkward silences, you know, all the all the sort of stuff you deal with when you try and use a foreign language. But it was fun. <laughs> so China. So when you, how long you been in Australia then? Um, two thousand and four, I moved here. So I was uh, twenty two. Yeah. So yeah, what's that? Sixteen years. Yep. Oh, getting yeah. that? No, eighteen years. Yeah, I moved away for a year and a half and went further afield, like China, and then I travelled for another six months. But um, yeah. No, so I'm, I, I should be an Australian citizen by now, but I'm not. I'm still on a scab visa because all the Kiwis that arrived after two thousand and one no longer able to get um, permanent residency. So. How do you? How does that work? So you can still be here, but they just don't really care that you're here? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And you, you can get Medicare after a period of time, but you can't ever get, like, um, any form of social welfare or anything like that. So you can't so. get the doll or nothing like that? Nah, and if you commit any crimes, they just send you back. Yeah. Well, <laughs> talking about your next job. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about crime. <laughs> no, but this it next job because of a reason. <laughs> it wasn't actually my next job. I did a brief foray into digital marketing, but ended up working for some shonky people and um, just really coming out of it with a distaste for the marketing field, really. But um, no, I'm a correction officer now. I work in a men's prison. I've uh, been in there for just, more, just over two years. I, I still I like it. My... Um, my parents were all civil service. Like one of my younger brothers is a youth worker. My dad was a cop. Mum was a probation officer. So in some ways it seemed inevitable. And to be honest, like when I went through the academy to learn how to do it, I felt like a round peg in a round hole. So yeah. it wasn't, wasn't a great stretch, to be honest. So the old stories around the dinner table were just, just suited. Hey, we all <laughs> just talk about crims. <laughs> ah, I got to get the crims. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I – um. I'll bring up the story that I <laughs> that um uh, we I put I said on the As and Taz podcast a while back that we're struggling to get some workers and and we um <laughs> <laughs> so so Shrek contacts me and says hey man I've got got a couple of good dudes you know ones that <laughs> they uh, seem like they're keen to make a difference in the world and all this sort of thing and. And yeah, I'll give you, I'll get, I'll give them your phone number and yeah, give you, give you, get them, give you a call. And anyway, they, a couple of days later, I get this phone call and hey, go, mate. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, good, mate. He goes, oh, I see you look, looking for workers. I'm like, yeah. I said, where about? Oh, he goes, oh, Shrek gave me your number. I'm like, oh, cool. I said, so, so you're keen to travel all the way up to North Queensland? And they're like, yeah. And I said, do you know it's two days on a bus? Um, yeah. <laughs> So sort of, sort of every time I said something, it just got a little bit like, uh, and then I, then like, they expected me to like get them a house, get everything in there, like do everything for them. And I was like, mate, I, nah. I'll give you phone numbers of people to talk. I can give you backpacker hostels. I can give you everything, but I'm not actually helping you. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, I will. Yeah. Physically helping you, I'll give you everything you need to get here and 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 all the information, and give them a job. Yeah, I'll give them a job and everything, and then yeah. So one fella he actually said to me, "Oh, oh, it's it's all right. It's 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 cash cash money, isn't it? Farming." And I said, 
no, it's actually real work. We've got to pay on the on the books. And he's like, oh, he goes, oh, I've got a um, invalid pension at the moment. Like, how am I supposed to? <laughs> how am I supposed to? get that and get paid. And I said, so hold on, you. so you've got something wrong with you? And he goes, yeah, me back's fucked, but it's not really, you know, it's just it's, it's not fucked, but I can work and that. And I'm like, I said, dude, you're a fuckhead and hung up on him <laughs> pretty much. Like, Sorry, man. Sorry. <laughs> but they were the good ones. <laughs> now, there's a couple, of, a couple of dudes, they seemed sincere when I was talking mm-hmm. to them, but I just think the... The, just to be able to get funds to get up here and make a new start in their life and just push that point that, that I think they needed to do, yet they didn't do. And I think yeah, so Taz, their family. Taz is talking about some of my clients who were exiting the system. <laughs> and uh, I just thought they were young fellas. And if they changed their peer group and had a job and a bit of a start, they might have make a crack of it. Um, and I, I guess that's the story of their lives a lot of the time it's pretty tragic man like but a lot life's like you know you can get kind of cocky about it about how easy it is like if you've had a good decent start in life and that um you know you take a lot of stuff for granted you know but mm. you know the discipline of getting up every day and going to work and paying the bills and not doing crime like to some people that's just a different world and yeah. they don't understand it and um you might have every intention in the world of helping them out, but their 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 dominant worldview is just completely foreign to you. Like you might you might you might think, oh yeah, we're all Australian, we, you know, or Kiwi or whatever. We you know we live here, and they they might as well live on a different planet sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, I've actually seen it. Like I've just seen it locally, just being to mates' houses and stuff like that, and just the how it happens is like the way their family reacts and just like they'll have punch-ups around the dinner table and you're just like this they actually do this every and they're like yeah and just they're sitting down looking at their phone still while the mum and dad or someone's punching up in the background it's like this yeah. is not normal but wow. then you think what do they see as normal what is different to how i see as normal yeah until there's until there's blood involved they're probably not even going to raise their head from their mobile phones but yeah, it's a different world, man. And uh, sometimes it's a bit sad and it's a bit tragic and it's a bit depressing. Um, yeah, like handing those guys your number and, you know, putting them on to you. Like I was really sort of – I didn't give you just anyone. They, these were just like two of the ones that I, I thought, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they could actually make a go of it. So to hear that they, you know, weren't even able to do that, I was a little disappointed. But um, you just got to it, – it's not <clears> – <throat> You know, like it's not in your control, you know. Like yeah. a lot of the time the system is just really trying to convince people that to take responsibility for their own shit, um, which, you know, it's it's not easy. Life's hard. It's hard to do the right thing and pay the bills and do everything legit and try not to break the law and stuff. Like, Yeah, you yeah. are who you hang around. The way, that's the way I see it. You are who you hang around. And if you're going right. to leave that facility – and go back to what you came from, it's like, well, what are you going to – you're going to end up back there. That's the problem, though, man. Like, I agree with you. Like, there's that saying, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or whatever. Mm. And uh, they come they come into the prison system and guess who they're hanging out with all day. And, yeah. you know, it's uh, – it's, yeah, it's uh, – sometimes it's a bit of a – it's a dark place, man. And, mm. um that's that's not to mention all the other stuff that we deal with, like just the, you know, the, the violence and drug use and, you know, s- 
you know, other stuff that goes on. How hard is it to stop contraband into those places? Is it pretty much impossible? Oh, I don't know. I'll get in trouble talking about this okay. stuff, I reckon. All right. Because so- my opinions <laughs> my opinions aren't really like in line with uh, probably uh, the stated uh, objectives of our department and things like that. So I'd have to be real careful with that one. Uh, yeah, we did have this conversation before. We have to really tread lightly on. Allegedly. Allegedly, I've heard that. Uh, no. <laughs> but that's okay. Oh. Well, yeah, we can. So has, has your jiu-jitsu training come into, because you are a jiu-jitsu practitioner, so. and um, I, I started jiu-jitsu when I started the job based on the recommendation of one of our control and restraint trainers who's also a, a jiu-jitsu dude. So, um, yeah, man, it's helped for sure. Like just having that, um, <laughs> most people are really uh, overestimate their abilities unless they've actually been involved in any form of martial art or combat. And it's weird our society still places a lot of ego and bullshit on like the outcomes of a physical altercation. Mm. It's really like it, if you beat someone up, it means nothing. No. Like if you get beaten up, it means nothing. There's no value to it unless you're a practitioner of something and you're trying to do something in a competitive arena. But if you just Joe Bloggs walking down the street and you get into a fight and you get flogged or you flog the other fella, no one cares. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like, um, but you know, I, I still respect people that are good at what they do. You know, like if that's what you do and you're good at it, good on you. But um, I think, yeah, so, but walking into the jiu-jitsu place for the very first time as a 37-year-old is a humbling experience, man. Like, you get tapped out and submitted by um, people who are, like, particularly when really good guys um, know that you're new, they will just roll around and have fun with you and they'll make you work, but they'll, they won't submit you because they could submit you in 10 seconds a lot of the time or, or, or very short space of time. Um but the, the newer people, maybe like, I don't know, the blue belt, maybe to purple or, or and lower, they, they, if they perceive you as any sort of threat, then sometimes they, they quite, they quite like submitting you. So like, yeah, I had a lot of fun roles and I got submitted a lot in the first, um, you know, I for, still get submitted easily now, but like it was super easy for them then. Cause I didn't even know how to make them work for their, uh, for their submissions, but, um, it was good. And it was, you know, 37 learning something brand new. It felt um, you feel nervous and awkward and you get the sweaty palms and, you know, all that stuff. But I think because I'm a guy, like as soon as you start doing something physically, you start sweating, all the nerves go and, and you meet some cool people, we have some laughs and then, um, you know, you do one or two things right and you think, oh, yeah, sweet, I'm getting this and then you actually have to use it in a roll and it all falls apart. But uh, <laughs> it's a really good experience, man, but it's just it's so much harder than than people realise. Like, and... um you and me were talking before and talking about levels to this shit. Like um, you watch people, when you start to have an understanding of what it is you're even watching, then you have a whole new level of respect for stuff. Like, um, you know, watch a UFC fight now and I'm just like, you know, you're blown away by some of the stuff you see or you see a real high-end grappling um, match and you're just like, wow, that's, that stuff's incredible. I get to roll with two world champions all the time. This young yeah. boys, but they actually just school me all the time, and just their level is just so. I'm like I'll never get there, but I'm just I just want to be competitive against them, and yeah, at the moment I'm not even competitive against them, and I've been doing it six years, so yeah. it's, it's very humbling, 
And it's yeah. are you, what what belt are you? Uh purple. Yeah, well. Yeah, so it's a lot of work, man. That's a lot of work you put in. Yeah, it's pretty much two days a week for six years and without <laughs> hardly missing a beat. So so it's been been a but the thing is it's so addictive, you don't it's you get upset when you miss training. It's not like, oh, I have to go. I'm just like, oh, I want to go. And you you feel like if you miss, you're like, oh, what have they learned? And I haven't learned. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the issue I have, man. It's like, you know, when your life's so busy and so full, and then I like, oh, sometimes for long periods of time, I was getting to jujitsu maybe once a week. And sometimes it was just for an open mat. And um, so then I wasn't actually learning much other than, you know, there's a couple of brown belts I roll with and, they they were teaching me stuff while while we would do open map, but really I'm um, taking time out of them. They're not getting paid to teach me, so it was very much them giving me the gift of of learning. Um, but I'd go back to class, and then I'm u- learning some obscure like bear and bowler technique or something, and um, that's of very limited utility in my work and stuff. And and my interest goes down a little bit and fades because I realise that. I'm probably not going to come tomorrow night or ne- or the next night after that, so I'm not going to be able to connect that technique to all of the other, just the basic stuff that I still don't know how to do, you know, like just guard passing and just simple transitions and, you know, escapes and, you know, just all the basic, super basic shit. Yeah. I, I just still think one of the most main things you can get is a figure of four grip, especially in your business, a figure mm. of four grip, risk control, that's that's nullifying most people straight away. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's like the only sub. Like, I, I, Americana is like my go-to. You know, like <laughs> my, most of my belts is like, yes, I got my Americana on, <laughs> and I'm just brute forcing it. You know, like, but it's you know that sort of stuff is is hundred percent useful in uh, in my work and takedowns too. Takedowns are huge as well. Yeah, just Two leg and double legs, just. <laughs> If you've ever played football in your life, the first few years is just football tackle him. When you're in a comp, you just yell out, football tackle him. <laughs> that's pretty much all you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just pick him up and yeah. belt him onto the ground. <laughs> but then, I, you know, like I tried it on a dude and he's a big fella and he's standing guillotine me like three times in one, in one session. <laughs> Man, I had that happen in a comp and it's not fun, is it? Nah. <laughs> But I just like, it, it, yeah. He 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 didn't put it on too hard, like too fast, and I just ran into it because it's just um, poor technique. But um, it's hard when you're a big fella too, like getting down and going for the shoot, like um, and 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 you never have your that front leg far enough forward, like you always you need you yeah, <laughs> it's always clumsy too. Everything in real life is more clumsy than it looks like on TV and shit. Yeah, I think. When you shoot, when you're tall, it's so much harder to get down and in and back up because you sort of got to shoot up at an angle when you hit them. Mm. And for taller people, like, what are you, 6'2 or something? 6'3, yeah. 6'3, 120 kilos, but you're so built. I was 120. Oh, the computer makes you look lighter. (laughs) Yeah, I've put a a slimming filter on. (laughs) (laughs) But you're a big boy. You're not fat or anything. You're just a big boy. So getting a, imagine you getting a hold of them, you're going to cause some damage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I do then. You know, like you're always popular when you're just a big, heavy, you know, strong white belt. They they hate it because um, yeah. you, you know, you just make everything hard and it's not a free-flowing role. Um, and, yeah, sometimes I think 
I think people get annoyed with with me, but um, depends where you train too. There, like um, I kind of my mate at work, he's got an MMA gym, and they have open mat, and it's just open after I finish work. Yeah, sometimes I go in there and have a few rolls, and they're all friendly and fun, and and a lot of bigger guys, and they and they're like, yeah, just use your weight, you know, like and like I, I learned how to do a knee ride there, and just you know, dirty weight tricks like yeah. wet blanket and all that sort of stuff. Whereas at the gym I train at or I started training at, really great culture and fantastic people, but they don't have a lot of big guys. Yeah. And, and I'm almost discouraged from using all the dirty stuff that I'm probably going to be good at. They're trying to teach me triangles and all this bullshit that like I can't even – I don't even have, really have the flexibility to do a triangle most of the time, Yeah, um, particularly at the moment. But, um, yeah, anyway, I, I like it. I enjoy it. I just – I just don't have enough time for it all, Tony. Yeah, I think the best one from Psychotrol, Von Flute Choke. Get everyone to have a look at that one, Von Flute Choke from the side. Yeah. A big follow of the weight, you will tap 99% of people out of that. <laughs> Von, Von Flute Choke, I'm yeah. going to type that. There's a dude who's won like three or four, Owen St. Pru or something, his name is. He's um, won three or four UFC fights just by using that move. So yeah, nice. Pretty well known move. Yeah, it's easy to defend if you know, but it's it's a very scary one. <laughs> it comes on very quickly from side control. So you got to try and transition to like half guard or something, get out of side control. If he's ah, uh, you stay in side control and you pretty much just reach under and join your hands together and put your shoulder into the neck, turn pretty much oh, plank, plank on your side. Yeah, and then just squeeze. Yeah, yeah. Those guys taught me that actually. Now that you mention it, I didn't realize the name for it. Yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah, like what's what's your escape from there though? You just got to try and get off your off your back, get onto one shoulder. It's block the hip because they got to get in the side. So as soon as you push up, you can block the hip and keep the weight away and sort of hip escape out a bit and oh, get okay. to your knees if you can. But yeah, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> but for well, judges, yeah. people don't really know much about this stuff, so we'll stop that. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, in terms of like the utility for the job, like having the confidence to, um, and you know what you can do on a person's body. Like the the departmental, um, departmentally trained and approved techniques um, are also effective in conjunction with some of the confidence and the the body intelligence that you get from jujitsu. And like you say, like yeah, figure uh, figure four, um, just learning how. Uh, wrists and you know joints and elbow joints work, and how you can exploit some of the weaknesses of the human body. Uh, they they can be helpful, yeah. Yeah, the mechanical side of things. Like I use a figure of four now, not to tap people out, but just to get the sweep or get them off me. Sort of thing. It's, it can be used for other things and also tapping them out. So <laughs> really good. But yeah. we'll get away from this stuff. I want to talk to you about like you got the world's best spear spearing podcast. So what's it? How did, how long? How many years have it been number one for on the spearing podcast scene? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, you laugh. There must be at least ten bloody spearfishing podcasts now. Like yep. it's crazy. Um, but like most podcasts, so like people pop up and they do like three or four episodes, and then they go, they realize how much work's involved in a podcast, and they bail on it. Yeah. But um. It was another fella with a show at the same time we started, and he started just after us. And uh, yeah, he was pretty competitive for a while, but he dropped off. And um, we've been going, well, I've been going seven years. So, yeah, long time, 2014 we started. Yep. 
That's a that is a long time. I actually started probably two years ago. And that's yeah. how, that's how I actually met as actually interviewed yeah, right. the podcast, and I just thought, oh, geez, he was the first person who I interviewed who actually asked me questions back, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, You'd actually be good at this. <laughs> so I was yeah, so I yeah. one day and I said, Do you want to start one? He's like, Yeah, might as well, eh? So that's where it all sort of bloomed from that. He's got a great personality for it, too. Yeah, he can, can talk shit, but. It's <laughs> <laughs> a number one requirement. Yeah, that is. <laughs> so with the spearfishing podcast, I'm, I'm going to hit you with some spearfishing questions. So, all right, your biggest fish. What's the biggest fish you've ever speared? Uh, yellowtail kingfish in New Zealand uh, last year, last year or the year before. Um, three kings. It was uh, 27.5 kgs, the biggest fish I've ever shot. That's a big fish. That's a small or oh, a medium-sized child. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big fish, man. But they, the world record was taken there. It's fifty kilos, so just over half the size. So, like, I wanted one. You know, everyone sort of sets these false metrics for themselves. So I guess when you're hunting a trophy fish, you tend to have an aim, and the benchmark was kind of thirty kilos. So I fell a little bit shy if that was the, the the mark for it. But I was stoked, man. I was absolutely like the whole experience. So, like to me, it's not really just the fish. It's like the people you go with and you know, the places you go and I don't know, like every time you form a group with a new bunch of people, like, and you're doing something like uh, your own little internal culture and jokes and banter start up and it was just a magic trip. I had a really cool bunch of people I was with. Yeah, it's a bloody, when you see those fish underwater, it's, they're so much bigger yeah. <laughs> than you think as well when you're going to, like, you think 27 kilos, oh, yeah, that's not real that big, but that's how I put it. That's a 10-year-old kid swimming through the yeah. water pretty much the size of Yeah, a lot of power too. And they, like it buried a 15-litre float, like more or less like, you know, tombstone the float. So the float just went flying past. And then every time you sw- it was, I sw- or me or the, there was another camera guy taking photos of the fish, it didn't want to be anywhere near us, so it'd just tombstone the float again, and I pull it down a decent distance, and it was, um, you know, be half volume at ten meters, so it was pretty cool. And we they had another hard stopper float on the surface, which was like a, a, a boogie board style sort of float, so um, it only take half of that down. But um, I can only imagine, a, you know, bigger, harder fighting fish, what what they could do. But um, yeah, it was a cool experience. What sort of depth did you have to go down to get it? Was it on the surface or you had to get a bit of depth to get it? It was one of those trips where, you know, you you, you think you're prepared and, and get there and just pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> That's me every trip. <laughs> I, got, I got there. We were in New Zealand. It's uh, the Three Kings Islands, which is like 50 nautical miles off uh, Cape Ranga, the far northern tip of New Zealand. Is that and where all islands, the red-headed New Zealand's come from? <laughs> all the red-headed New Zealand's come from everywhere it's, it's just a superior, <laughs> <laughs> i don't even put two and two together there i like that superior <laughs> genetics um so yeah we're off <laughs> we're off cape ranger and um yeah and uh shit i forgot where i was going with that yeah so the diving was pathetic i had a brand new five mil wetsuit and uh the thing was pretty restrictive of which i learned in hindsight around the neck and the sort of the top of the chest and brand new wetsuits, particularly the sort of the high volume ones or the thicker neoprene, um, they they can be guilty of this, particularly if you're a bigger person. 
and that discomfort makes you feel like um like a force on your chest and your neck yeah and so this thing was a bit restrictive and then when we jumped in we had like a um, huge swells rolling through and these white water plumes coming off the rocks and then it was just straight drop-offs down to about 50 or 60 meters and um have phenomenal viz but there was like huge schools of um pink meow meow and then there's um the three kings trevally chopping through and then the kingies would come through underneath and so you're jumping in this thing it feels like a washing machine the sea's just moving up and down and we're only there for 40 minutes on the first day so my diving was pathetic like i think my my best dive of that that first day would have probably been like eight or nine meters yeah. for 40 maybe 45 seconds like um like really pathetic like you know, um, the sort of stuff, you know, you can start off and, and learn in a day, um, that sort of diving. Um, but just amazing, man, like really cool experience. And these huge schools of yellowtail coming at you, and I just I um, just couldn't couldn't get onto a good fish that day. Um, so the second day, though, uh, was where I started to get a little bit better, probably dived to 11 metres. <laughs> and, oh, my, oh, you know, but... I've been spearing a while, man, and it's it's pretty bad when you've been going a while. And um, but I was just flat out, eh? Like between the wetsuit and the conditions, and just not diving for a while. It's just um, yeah, it just wasn't at my best. But really, still enjoying it anyway. Um, just just trying to relax and get my heart rate down. Because if you can relax, and you can get your heart rate down and find your sort of your zen place again. Then your diving comes back. But um, just due to the nature of the the washing machine like environment, um, it was hard. Um, so probably yeah, eleven or twelve meters maybe when I shot that fish. Yeah, that's all right. Still, yeah. it's most most fish you see on tally and that like the big, big arm dog tooth and that they're usually only at that depth anyway. They'll swim. There's probably thirty meters under them, forty meters under them sometimes because they like to reef themselves. The dog isn't that, but you don't usually you can if you. It's all about getting them to you. You don't go to them if you closer you can get them to you, the better. Yeah, well, these these kingies are not super smart. Like um, the 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 bigger fish did, did seem to bugger off though. You might get one or two passes from the school, and then um, you you would see kingfish all day long, but it wouldn't be the real real big 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 numbers. And um, you, I did start to get better at judging how big they were by the end. Um, basically, you're looking at length, but also girth, and not girth just at the head. It needs to sort of go all the way down its body. Yeah, yeah. And even into its tail, you can just tell when they're just a bit more of a hefty um, sort of animal. But these, the yellowtail kingfish, there are in such good condition. You're just looking at them, and you're just like, that. Just the environment they live in must just be like optimal, yeah. you know? Like it's really healthy fish, like in a really healthy biodiversity in that area. Just um, yeah, something else, something special. And that part of New Zealand, they get is it. Sharky, like great whites, and yeah. I don't know about great whites. I don't. I don't think they see great whites there very much. But we saw. Um, we saw a number of different sharks. But um, yeah. Um, but they were really docile and uh, and didn't 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 want to bar us. Um, some of the, one of the photographers on the trip got some really good shots of them, but um, they left us alone. They were not interested at all. Even when even when we had big fighting fish on, didn't show any real interest. Yep. Have you had any issues with any sharks? In any yeah, but, but only here in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Read them over here, um, you, mate. <laughs> yeah, one day we've got another Flinders Reef. Like I know you've got a, a Flinders Reef, like way way offshore up there. But 
we got another Flinders Reef off Brisbane, and it's a um, it's a green zone, but um, there's an exclusion zone, and a lot of us sort of pick off just around the outside of it. And um, I we were doing this drift dive, and the current was moving fairly quickly, like probably about two or three knots, like hard enough that you can't swim against it, sort of thing. Or, or maybe you could if you're really determined, but that, not for annoying long. current. <laughs> I call that annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, just one of those ones where you just go with the flow and you see what happens. And the, the the reef was like 20 meters. It comes up to like six meters, and then it drops off again on the back. But you've got like 400 meters where this all takes place, and um. I had a fish and I had a new guy next to me and we're laying on the surface. It's crystal clear, 25 meters of his, and I'm um, burling up this fish and I've got a real good burly. By the time we hit the eight or six meter mark, I had a real good full stream of burly, like, you know, like right in front of us and traveling down like a big, nice stream of it. And um, the rainbow runner came in and they started smashing it. And this new guy, he's brand new to spearfishing. He was just buzzing out. Like he was like, this is the experience of a lifetime. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, feeling pretty proud of myself. And I went down and I think I maybe missed a fish. Or I buggered something up. And then um, we came over the back of this reef and um, I finished off burling the last of this fish and I let the frame go. And then these three big um, dusky whalers come out of nowhere, like boat, all, all three of them over two meters, like well over two meters. And um, they they did the Sharknado vortex just coming up this thing like um, – from the bottom of the burly trail all the way up the water right to our fin tips. Yeah. And um, they got about halfway up the water column and old mate just boosted for the boat, <laughs> left me there with these with these sharks. And um, it was all good. Like the burly was gone and that, they didn't hang around much. They left me alone. But that dude got back on the boat and he um, sold all his gear uh, <laughs> and never went fishing again. <laughs> <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I've had a few of those, man. Like, um, but the 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 dusky whalers, um, some people call them bronzies, but um, their range is actually uh, a lot further south. Like, they don't come up into the warm waters. It's a different variant um, of a whaler, similar similar sort of animal. So that's why they get mislabeled sometimes. But our dusky whaler, they're, they're pretty prevalent here off Brizzy at times, and. Um, Although it seems to come in waves and then they disappear again, but they can be real annoying, real intimidating body language. Um, bull sharks are scary, particularly in um, in dirty water. Like, you know, like if I, when the vis is five meters, they they just seem to get so arrogant and cocky, and they will come right up to you. Mm. Like, uh, uh, but they just it's, it's a big intimidation game. Generally, you see, well, I don't know, I haven't had a, an experience where I haven't seen them and then just moved. But um, you know, you know, I've heard. Worst stories, but yeah, yeah, this bloody sharks are just a crazy one. Like the the stories we've heard around here, where people getting hit and stuff like that, and um, yeah, most of the time it's just bad luck, wrong place, wrong time. It's yeah, and it's nothing you is can do about a shark that wants to bite you. Is it bull sharks up there as well? Yeah, we get a lot of bull. It, it's so funny. Like it's only in the past probably five years, just every dive day now you probably run across one where we never yeah. used to see them ever it, it was just white tips and black tips most. do you think their behavior changes in the in the in the viz the worst viz yeah definitely that's the when i go surfing at the beach that's the first most thing i worry about when i'm surfing by myself and dirty water is just like is something going to come out and hit me here a bull shark or something yeah it's yeah, to animals yeah <laughs> yeah 
and yeah, just been beautiful, majestic, and essential part of the ecosystem. But pricks of animals, all the same. Yeah, well, we've, I've, we can talk a bit about this stuff on my podcast. (laughs) 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 I don't get hate mail because I don't have any mail. Well, you just turn your Facebook off. That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. Just do what Jay Rogan does. Don't answer anything. Look, I try to be uncancelable. <laughs> if if no, one, no one's paying me, no one's doing anything, they can't cancel me. I just keep, keep going. <laughs> Unless yeah. iTunes or Spotify, you want to do something about it, that's about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I've heard around here years ago there used to be heaps of, um, oh, a couple of shark boats kept the population down or at a where it sh- I don't know where it should be, but it kept the population down. Now there's they're just going rampant because we've they've protected them all and yeah. And I know there's people out there that think sharks deserve their place and they do deserve their place, but they also don't deserve to be on the end of every fish that you try to pull up off the bottom of the reef. And it's getting that way now. So I'm 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 for having a shark fishery. I'm just for managing it. Mm, everything uh, can be managed. Yeah, 100%. Like if, if we've got, um, you know, like if one population's vulnerable, like let's pull it off the fishing list or we'll, we'll further restrict the catch. But, you know, like the marketing efforts of some of the groups to lobby people to not eat shark have, have been very effective. Mm. People no longer want to eat flake. Like whereas in the fish and ship shops back in the day, a flake was all you'd get like if you ordered a normal bit of fish. And it was delicious. I frigging love it. And, um, and generally those fish, like if they're caught in Australia or New Zealand or any of these well-managed fishery countries, like the shark that you're eating is sustainable shark, it's a school shark. They're, they're intentionally harvested due to their numbers and, their, and their, able, their ability to sustain fishing pressure. Nowadays, it's just this blanket thing like, oh, let's not eat any sharks. It's stupid. It's, it's even more short-sighted than over, like, overfishing to the point where you wipe populations out. It's just the same. It's just another form of stupidity it's a pendulum swinging all the other way i'm i i i I think that um you know using science and 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 management practices we can be a part of our Mm. the natural environment i um i i I don't believe in this utopian idea of just like hey let's just all get away from it and it'll be okay like the reality is is we all need to eat um and we're part of the environment so we, we better learn how to take our place in it so of, what are your thoughts on reef closures? How, like I've had, there's a couple of reefs out of where we are where they've just shut the reef down probably oh, probably eight years ago that they shut down two reefs directly out of us. And well, like I, I'm not too familiar with as far north as you. I know in the Southern Great Barrier they were doing cyclical um, reef closures. So they would um, let reefs recover to a point where, you know, virgin biomass had a chance to recover. Um, it, it, I don't know. I don't like these researchers that look at all these different management practices and strategies and they are supposed to do evidence-based research and then, you know, but every area is different. So to say that reef closures work in every part of the world, I, I don't think it does. I think having cyclical, um, uh, closures maybe makes sense, but, um, and you know, um, yeah, like in the in the right place in the right context, it can be. But blanket closures that last forever, um, sometimes there's a there's a point to it. But I, I don't know. I, I couldn't really comment on what's going on up there. Yeah, because they, they they the thing is they close them, but they don't give you a reason why they didn't or how they're doing it. 
sort of thing. It's just like they're closed. There's probably something in fine print somewhere, but it should be well known by every person who visits the reef is why that reef is closed forever. There's no actual why it's closed. Most governments now have adopted more consultative processes, like so where you've got all the various stakeholders and user groups involved and there's a there's a process to reach a resolution. The reality of how they deliver that at times, I think, is, you know, subject to a lot of controversy. Um, you know, if they're not publishing the debates and the conversations that have gone into the decisions that they've made, then they're not going to get uh, the wide support of the wider community. And I, I think it ends up for a real um, – it's, it's an ineffective strategy because – you know, as as fishers, like as spiros, we're all interested in maintaining the health of the reef and the ecosystem and the fishery. All, all of us that are responsible want those things to happen. Um, so I don't understand why they wouldn't communicate why they were the rationale for doing certain making certain decisions. I don't I don't I don't get that at all. Mm, it's sort of yeah, it was just thrust upon us. Well, it probably back when it was done. Internet wasn't wasn't as big. Phones weren't as big, so you didn't yeah. really get it. Was, it just happened, and and now we we got two reefs less we can visit out of out of us, and out, yeah. out of Cairns it's actually worse. There's a lot more reefs that are shut down, so it's putting a lot more pressure on the rest of the reefs around them. Where, yeah. like you said, cyclical is good because you're just giving taking pressure off the reef, then adding it taking it off and stuff like that but just shutting one down just pushes everyone to the and, and puts more pressure on the other reefs so sometimes sometimes that particular strategy has been debunked like um there's an argument that you know shutting down particular reef systems allow um those reef systems to be in such good health that um the local fish populations then begin to re repopulate all the surrounding areas and uh for a lot of fish populations that just simply isn't the case um, because an area will only sustain a certain population and then they their breeding mechanisms shut down and stuff like that. Like they just won't continue to breed at a voracious rate if they don't have the, you know, the um the, the you know, the area. area and, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know, man. But I, I can't honestly commentate on it. I'm not a um scientist. I'm a bro scientist. Yeah. <laughs> like to talk a bit of smack. I, I mean, I have a legitimate interest and a keen interest in um, contributing to the conversation and learning about stuff. And sometimes they're going to make decisions that we don't like. And, and uh, But um, you know, I'm not even against that. But without even having been part of the process, like that's got to piss you off a bit. Mm. And there, there's actually another one before we get out of this is, <laughs> as I can see, you're trying to get out of <laughs> But out of Innisfail here, there's also a pro cray boat that started up, and I just felt the the cray in the past ten years, the crayfish population around here is just oh, quartered. It's yeah, it's it's going right down, and and now there's a boat out here operating out of here, and I just feel was any consultation to anybody done before it was in that no I, I, I know there was some done but it was all done uh, sort of behind the scenes and there was someone there was a bloke a, a, a skipper of a boat he was trying to stop it all but it just never happened and yeah it's sort of it's i've actually spoke to the skipper of the boat that was trying to 
bring it out into the air and get it all done. But it just sort of swept was swept under the rug, and they were allowed to go. So I've got no for the for the people trying to make a living out of the reef. I'm actually friends with pro fishermen and stuff like that, but just not not consulting people, asking what they think is the fishery viable to have that person there and. And honestly, to me, I don't feel it is, but that's just my view. I, I don't know if anyone else has seen this. So, yeah, it's just, it was very hard. I, I took it very hard when I, I heard that they were actually pro fishing out there for that species. Do you know how many, uh, what the quota is for that boat for the area? No, and I don't. It's a, yeah, I actually don't know the quota. Well, and that was the quota of ours is we're three per person, ten per boat, and yeah, and it's a fairly big boat with lots of bins on it. So <laughs> I don't know yeah. what the quota is. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it gets very interesting when you look at species, and then they they like to use this expression "virgin biomass," you know. So, um, what would be there if there was zero human impact, zero um, pollution impacts, ideal conditions, and all the rest of it? And then they they make their um, their quota based on their calculations of that number, and it, it's honestly sometimes I, I don't know that it's a as well researched or as well understood a number as they as a lot of people pretend. Um, I'm unfamiliar with your fishery of that particular lobster species, so I can't really comment. But um, if you're saying that that fishery is all uh, you know or was already under pressure, and then you're adding commercial interests to it as well. Um, perhaps that person could have a commercial enterprise there, but then you might need to look at lowering recreational limits as well, so that it was um, um, not putting that fishery under threat. I'm de- I'd, I'd say, like a lot of people hate me for saying this, but I'd say three per boat, three three crayfish. I always say crayfish is a flavour; it's not a feed. Yeah. So crayfish is something you have on the side of a meal when you eat fish and chips or something like that. It's where you have it, it's a flavour of your pasta. It's it's not like, I can't wait to sit down and eat a full crayfish because that's not happening. No one does it. Yeah, not no, I, I well, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I tried my hardest. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, it doesn't it doesn't sit that well with me eating a whole one and I'm and I'm known for my appetite. Um generally burritos and uh and lolly. But yeah, I digress. Um I agree with you, man. There's a there's a poverty mens uh, or a scarcity mindset amongst um, some people, like um, that, that we're always wanting to take our maximum of everything. Sometimes it's a real it's a real short sighted and silly way to look at things, but I understand it. If you're that guy, right, and you live 300 k's inland and you're doing your yearly um, reef trip, then you want to take your bag limit because that's you for the year, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough one. Bag limits are hard sometimes. They, you know, they they, they never like. I don't know. Sometimes once they go freezer limit. <laughs> What's yeah, <in> freezer. <laughs> well, that is how bag yeah, limits. Yeah, work. it is. Yeah, it is. But people don't treat it like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> they're bagging no. out for what they got on the day. They don't count what's in the freezer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, t- I tell people all the time. My motivation for spearfishing goes down. When my freezer's full, like I don't, I, mm. I don't have any need to go out. I still, yeah, I still want to go out and maybe shoot one or two trophy fish or something. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't feel a need to continually harvest and harvest and harvest. Like, um, 
Yeah, like I love a good reef trip where we where we where we take our trout bag and stuff. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, the 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 thing is when you when you don't have the pressure of having to bring something home, how much better is the day? How oh, hundred percent. It? Yeah. It's like a false metric to put on your fishing trip. It's like, oh, it's not a good trip unless I get X number of these. It's like. If, if I go out and we have a good laugh, everyone's safe, we catch a couple of fish, like, good good as gold. Let's, it's a good day. It's not like you're doing this for an economic reason anyway. If you think you're going to be a profitable, I don't know, maybe you can be a profitable um, line fisherman, but there's no, <laughs> there's not many profitable spearows, I can tell you that much. <laughs> the most expensive way to catch free fish, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. with your podcast, I've listened to a lot of them and um, you've had some – like you've had someone who's been on Joe Rogan actually as well, Valentina Thomas. Valentina. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and then I like your ones with Adam Stern as well. Like he's he's a champion, isn't he? He's a if you don't, he's don't a, know who he is, you could check out free diving. He's one of Australia's best free divers. And yeah, he's just yeah. A, a bunch of laughs. So it's always good when he comes on there was tuned straight oh, into yeah. his name. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, he's a good, good character. Who's out of everyone, or like out of a few? Which ones are left a mark? You reckon? I'll tell you. I did um, early, early on. I did Jager Crossingham, who's a freedive Fiji guide, and uh, he's a New South Welshman originally. But his knowledge of um, hunting like big game fish is just phenomenal. Turbo and I picked his brain for an hour and a half before. Turbo's Mac computer failed and we lost that entire interview. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was one of those interviews where I was just like, my eyes were wide open and I was just sucking it all in. I was learning that much and we lost the whole interview. We redid it. And the second version was still good and there's still heaps of good info in there, but it was never as good as the first take. <laughs> and it was just one of those ones. And I was just like, that interview is still a bloody good listen because he's just a phenomenal guy. I tell you what, if you want to chase big pelagic fish, and like book a multi-day trip with that guy. Like he will, he will, he will give you the skills and the knowledge in order to catch like you know like a trip of a lifetime. And I mean Fiji, like some of the places he goes are just amazing. Um, he was really influential. Tim Caverman did a um, did a full episode. He took started spearfishing later in life, and um, I think with all things, when you learn them later in life, you're a lot more observant of the process. And he attributed a lot of uh, mental health improvements and stuff, um, you know, reducing anxiety and stuff like that. And there's something that's to be said, like, um, for putting yourself in positions that make you a little bit afraid. And then uh, it's just really good for – I just think it's really good for you. And he, he was huge. Um, Kimmy Werner is another one. She's a massive, like, spearfishing personality. And I, I had a bit of imposter syndrome when I interviewed her, and I just um, – I was like really nervous and shit, and I, I don't really get nervous most of the time when I talk to people. But like for me, some with reason, you. <laughs> <laughs> you just get nervous because I'm always, you know, just you know, just looking at you in a dream. Staring over me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope he uses some control and restraint on me. <laughs> now, nah, Kimmy was awesome, but yeah, she was. Uh, I had imposter syndrome, and I found myself falling back into the habits of just asking her the same questions that probably every other interviewer has asked her. Yeah. You don't get an original conversation out of her. And you, I could just tell she fell back on the same storytelling um, things. So that, 
that encouraged me to grow a little bit, like as a as a as a as an interviewer, I guess, like just learning how to have a bit more of a conversation and not really just asking the same old bullshit questions people get asked all the time. So they're the ones that left the biggest marks, you reckon? Oh, I don't know. There are three that come to mind. We did one early one today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to. I'll have that to. One left skid marks. <laughs> Tess Young's massive uh, influence on the New Spirit podcast. We talked all about um, just Shit. smashing, smashing, <laughs> smashing coral trout. <laughs> I actually, you know how you talk about poo stories? Yeah. I never tell, tell them. Oh, there was another one I was supposed to tell on the podcast as well. And, and tell it on yours. Let's funny. I'll tell them here. So, one poo story. <laughs> I was out. We're out spearing out the islands out off here and one of my mate decides to do a shit over the side of the boat without telling me and I swam around <laughs> the side of the boat while he's doing the turd and it pretty much landed right in front of him and it hit my forehead as I was swimming past and I could see him all laughing at me. I said, so I'm in the water. I'm like, yeah, really? He's laughing at me? So I Because you're in the water. You picked his shit up and threw it at him. I picked it up and just clean hit threw it at him, smashed him clean in the back of his own turd, so he got him back. <laughs> <laughs> they just the whole day they just couldn't believe that he picked his shit up. I'm like, it's I'm in the water, I can wash just rub my hands, get some sand off the bottom, it's clean. <laughs> um why are post stories so funny? Like I'm nearly, I'm nearly 40 and I still I still love a good post. <laughs> And the other one was the other funny story was um, I took Billy Slater out the reef on a trip when he was home yeah. from um, from when he was like any at pretty much the height of his career and his origin career and all that is going really well. We went. There was one trip he's still local to Innisfail. Yeah, he comes from Innisfail. Yeah, yeah right. So is he we, still uh, age? Uh, he's about three years younger than me. I think it is. Yeah. Three or four, yeah. yeah, three, I think it is. And um, talking about them, we we got I got this brand new air gun I bought from Divers World up in Cairns. Haven't even used it yet, and I jumped in the water with him and swim. I was showing him where the crays are and that. And I said, "Go down and check that rock. There might be a cray under that." Anyway, just as he went down, I held my gun. I wasn't even hold. Didn't have my hand on the trigger. I actually had it on the barrel, and just holding it while I was swimming. And he, he went down and the angle of my gun, and all I heard was, Dook! felt my gun shoot. Oh. And it missed him by about probably 500 mil. Yeah, half oh. a metre. He nearly killed Billy Slater. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> it fired. It, it dry fired. Like, just fired. And I was just like, I didn't, my hand wasn't on the trigger, nothing. And I was thinking. I know what says. You saved all your best stories for your podcast, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we um come up to the top and I said, Oh mate, I nearly shot you away. And he's like, No, what? And I'm like, Yeah, I nearly shot you. This gun just went off on its own. And then I was thinking, I would never be able to show my face in Queensland ever again if I shot him. And then I thought, but I could move to New South Wales and I'd get a beer in every pub in town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was great. Great player. <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, went down surfing with him last year at the Melbourne pool. That the wave pool down there is really good, eh? It's a yeah, right, fun, eh? 
Yeah, it's a crazy pool. I want them to build one in Cairns here. Like it's it's just perfect. All the banana farmers will be flocking to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I, I guess that's the only problem up there, eh? Like Cairns, you got this huge um, tourist industry, but there's no there's no real surf consistent surf there. No, there's no surf. So, It'd probably go pretty good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I just reckon because it's tropical. They've built one in Melbourne. They're building one in Sydney. It's like they're cold, bloody six Cute months of the year. Mm, that's all. There. That's all. It's runoff. Like stuff the people. Just build one. <laughs> yeah, you're, one of, you're one of those guys that wants a high speed rail network up there too. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> got to get there quick, eh? <laughs> but so. In your podcast, you do a thing called a um, quick fire questions. I thought no one's ever asked you these questions, so I might as well send some back your way. So um, they're all I about spear fishing. I prepared some answers. Oh, you have. <laughs> well, you've had enough time over seven years to think about them. <laughs> <laughs> I've changed. I've changed. I've changed so much. So, could you describe what spear, the spear? Of, fishing experience means to you in one sentence i can you did it all like, <laughs> like yeah like a documentary <laughs> or something <laughs> i've written here it's a gratifying struggle that forces you into the moment and you get to connect with people and feed your loved ones well mate way better answer than i gave you <laughs> i can't remember ago that was off the top of my head <laughs> yeah, your one was like oh it's trout and uh, praise. <laughs> and eat them. Yum. <laughs> What's the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Relax. Yeah. And uh, my take on it is like, um, like when you get in the water, just learn to sink into the water and just let go of a whole bunch of shit. You know, tension. Negativity, stress, and, and expectations, everything. Last time I went down to South Australia and I did a freediving course, I came back and I like I, I swear I just left a whole bunch of inflammation and shit in my body because I drank too much coffee and my job's pretty stressful. So, I, I, Jeep is like, yeah, freedive spearfishing. I think that's that's a huge thing for it for me. Mm. Relaxation side of it. Yeah, so that that getting. Just being able to relax and getting those tidal breaths before you go down after you breathe. Oh, good. How good does that feel just before you do oh, it breathe? Feels good. Feels your good. Like, fluttering, your eyes start fluttering and stuff. Mind do I sort of like get like sort oh, of. I shut my eyes. I shut my eyes sometimes. I just do my old neck stretches. I look like a yogi. I'm just like <laughs> and shit. And they're like, there's a big fish down there. And you're like, calm down, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck, is there? Hey, and then, wait, wait, wait. then the heart rates through the roof again. You fucked it all up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who has been the most influ influential person or people in your spear fishing? I thought about this a little bit. Um, I re honestly reckon Daniel Mann and yeah. um, and and spearfishing down under magazine was a huge part and like um, influencing me with spearing. Like I mucked around with spearfishing in New Zealand before that because I did. Um, like when I left school, I didn't do well at school. I went and I, I did all this adventure tourism bullshit that we got fed. And, and then it was like an upsell and upsell. You know, I ended up doing like my master scuba diving instructor stuff when I was 18. And I, I mucked around with spearing then. But, and I was always planning to get back into it. And I just had shit jobs and wasn't organized. I didn't grow up fast enough. So I got to Australia and I still hadn't really got everything. 
And I didn't even really get started spearfishing into my late 20s, but like I think from about 26, I started buying SDM magazine and they used to have these DVDs in it. And Daniel Mann used to, he, I think he started his filming journey there, making these DVDs of Tim McDonald and Bryson and Josh Ball and a couple of these other people. And that, that, that magazine just made me froth. And, um, and Daniel Mann now, I talk to him fairly regularly, like I've had him on the podcast a few times and he's got a massive YouTube channel and I've watched his journey the whole way and yeah, huge, but um, yeah. Oh, bloody 40 meters plus. <laughs> Not really. To get there one day. <laughs> 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 if you could go back in time, what were, and when you were just starting spearfishing and give yourself some advice, what would it be? Uh, find a way to do a spearfishing course, find a mentor and a cool bunch of people that could, uh, that can put up with me and all the bullshit that I, that you have to deal with with me. That makes two of us. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're my new mentor. (laughs) Mental. (laughs) If you had, uh, during your 5,000 years of (laughs) spearfishing, I've had to figure it out. What did we work out? 16. <laughs> I say I've only been sparing like ten years or so, but um, it's maybe been a little bit longer than that. But yeah, yeah. What would be the biggest lesson you've learned? Uh, well, I spent a year in China, and I spent another six months travelling, and I realised how important the open ocean is to me, and um, particularly spearfishing in water. Like, um, I just need to prioritise my time and money and my life to make sure I can always be around it and in it. Oh, nice one. All Who, serious answers, you I hope. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who's the best person to go spearfishing with and why besides me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, hopefully that'll happen later in the year uh, or, or probably next year now. My um, my mate Matt, um, to be honest, but we had a massive falling out last year and I haven't been spearing with him since. So Shot him. <laughs> Did your gun fire off too? <laughs> uh, just uh, – just, Personal shit. We might work it out one day. Yeah. What would your fish of a lifetime be? Uh probably the dog tooth man. You can't you can't really go past it. I'd love to have an opportunity at one. Um and I'm not even super ambitious about the size, probably just a just a wee pup, like twenty kilo. Yep. Probably just a a wee pup, yeah. Just a wee one. (laughs) Twenty kilo. I'm super happy with that. <laughs> and what's the best uh, spear fishing destination you'd like to go to? Um, probably Fiji, man. I'd really love to get out and do two weeks with Jager or um, or Tahiti, like French Polynesia with um, Gerard Graves or the G-Man, they call him. Another yeah. crazy guy. There's a few. Like Chris Coates would be cool in Mozambique too, like um, – any one of those three opportunities, like I would froth over. There's more than that too. Eric Allard and Tanzania, like that'd be cool as well. Like, yeah, this, like I guess with the podcast, I'm kind of sport for ideas <laughs> of where I'd go and who yeah, I'd go with. To all these awesome people, yeah. Now you just yeah. look at me like oh, North Queen. I just get spearing off Brisbane and shoot more wongs. <laughs> <laughs> What's the single best? Uh, Resource for improving your spear fishing. And yeah, no spear podcast, hands down, yeah. <laughs> what is it? 99 fucking story. Yeah, 99, 99 tips to get better at spear fishing. I actually bought that on Audible, did you know? Did you? Yeah. You like 
was it a bit dry? Yeah. No. <laughs> well, 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 we got made to sort of read it seriously. Like we did it in a studio and it was a bit dry. It wasn't as funny as normal, but. Oh, it, it, audio, it, audio books aren't like podcasts though. No, I've, I've actually been listening for the past three days, uh, Mutiny on the Bounty. Oh, yeah. It is fucking awesome. If you want to get that so, audio book. What's Mutiny, it? Mutiny on the Bounty. It's pretty much what's it about? a true story. It's about um, yeah. they sent a ship out from New, uh, England just after Captain Cook come to Australia, like a couple of years after he came and had a look around. Then um, it actually talks about how Captain Cook died and all his story at the start, how he got because mm-hmm. he, he went to Tahiti and cleaned up, done like made good friends with all the kings there, and they just thought the the world of him in Tahiti. Then he was heading back to to Hawaii, passed away back home, and he ended up running into trouble there and tried to use the same mannerisms and all that, but just different people that just didn't work. And he ended up getting slaughtered on the beach and chopped into bits and, and taken around the whole island and, and shared it into parts and they were, they were like trophy bits. That's how he got his body was never, ever given back. It was just went all around the island. And so- history, why does history become more interesting as you get older? Like as soon as you <laughs> leave school, all of a sudden history's good again. Yeah, but I don't really want to wreck this because it's well worth having a listen. But yeah, it's, right, yeah, it's just the- goes to um, gets on a ship, takes a big crew to uh, Tahiti to get this breadfruit to bring it back, and all the stories that ensue through that end up off Australia and everything. They call it New Holland back then. I thought that mm. was a tractor. <laughs> New Holland, yeah. Yeah. So because Van Diemen's land was Tasmania and. Yeah, they talk about um, in the story they got they ended up at a place called Restoration Island. That's just up. I've actually got people who live right near that, friends who live near that on Restoration, um, and Resto Dave lives on that island, and they actually talk about that in the story and how they actually so start their lives. Are you interested in Australian history or just history in general? That I just. I've, that's the first sort of audio book I've ever got, and I'm I'm just captivated by it. the whole story of just it just makes me want to get out on the water hearing the story and how they survived and stuff like that. It's just yeah, very. They I think it was one of the most they like I won't tell, but it was, a, it was a really good survival story in it. So yeah, definitely have a listen, and um, I, I really can't spoil it because it happened fucking three hundred years ago. <laughs> Yeah, but like there's obscure parts of history that none of us are aware of, and and um, until you listen to a historian and someone that's passionate about it, they they I don't know they do something cool with it. Like I like that um, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Have you listened to that the podcast? I haven't, but I know um, Rogan talks about it all the time. Oh man, like he did this series. I think you have to pay for it now. It's called Wrath of the Khans. It's like five yeah. three and a half hour episodes about Genghis Khan and um, Kublai and their dynasty and how it sort of all worked out and but like really interesting like 10,000 foot view and then it talks about the culture and then how other cultures perceive them how individuals perceive them the the law of the land at that time how regular Joe Schmoes like me and you would get along and oh it was just and it just really really interesting really powerful storytelling and 
I was like, why couldn't we do history like this at school? Like, I probably would have done a lot of it instead <laughs> of being in the 40 percentile or whatever it was. <laughs> on, um, <laughs> on the lower 40th percentile. <laughs> hey, but at least you made it to school, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, we had schools in New Zealand. We didn't. We had banana trees. <laughs> we, um, there's a, on Netflix, there was actually a, a show, a series called Marco Polo, which sort of yeah, yeah. went over all that. And I, I really enjoyed that show and I was a bit pissed off they haven't made any more of them. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that too, actually. Yeah, mm. And Vikings. Oh, how good is Vikings? Oh, I don't know. The Vikings is just like. It's like they, it was almost like Game of Thrones. It's like they just were never happy to have the good guys win anything. It's always just absolutely gratuitous violence all the time. The storyline wasn't as – I didn't think it was as strong. But Looking at yeah. us, look at our big dirty beards in this. We should be on Vikings. Steve, it would be a different version, wouldn't it? Do you want to fight? No, nah, let's go fishing. <laughs> You've uh, raped and pillaged my um, coral trout. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the esky into my belly. All right. So what's something a little different from everyone else that you do when you go spearing? You, should, you yeah. shouldn't do this. You ask this question every week. <laughs> Aqualite. Aqualite, um, yeah, yeah. When, especially when I'm doing multi-day trips, it's a hydration like um, like uh, hydrolite. I think you can get it at the pharmacies, but Aqualite's kind of a bit more of an industrial type use. Um, you take that stuff; it just it stops you from cramping up. And mm. honestly, like you, you can dive ten hours. Um, and normally, I get home and I I can sleep ten hours after a ten hour dive day. Um, mm. Honestly, yeah, but with this stuff, like just normal, I have a normal sleep, six, seven hours, I'm up and I'm good to go again. I might be a bit sore, but um, just, I don't know, it just replaces all the stuff that water can't in your body. So I've, I've definitely needed them two of my the last two surf trips. Of course, you don't use those muscles that often. Halfway through the day, I'm just cramped. Actually, I was doing some filming of the boys trying to get them riding the waves under the water while they were cruising past me. And I was, had my flippers on because we got your flippers on. They actually, because the angle of your feet, they lock your feet up in that angle where it makes your hamstrings yep. <laughs> bloody cramp up. Yep. Both my hamstrings went in like the surf zone Ooh. and I couldn't swim. And so I'm, I'm only in about a meter of water. So I'm just holding the bottom and breathing and coming up. And I'm trying to call out to them, but they were too far out. They couldn't hear me. And I was just like, I can't swim because my as soon as I straighten my legs or yeah. use my legs, they're just going to cramp up. I think maybe as we get a bit older and a bit softer too, like it's it becomes more obvious. But I honestly think anyone can benefit from it. But water can't even replace the the salt and magnesium and shit in your in your body. Like on those days, like it doesn't matter how much you drink, it's it's just flushing out of your body. Like um, so, it's a massive, it's a game changer that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and so. Danger, dangerous situations. Let's go into danger, 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 danger. What's your most dangerous situation you've been in? Doesn't have to be anywhere, just um, like in the water, anywhere. What's one where you're like, shit, I'm in trouble? Eh? 
I'm struggling to come up with a dangerous one. Like I've had heaps of them, but the the story that's coming to mind is I um I was in a train crossing the uh, Mongolia, uh, sorry, the Russia Latvia border border, and it was three a.m. and my visa was expired by three hours. <laughs> so they they forced me to get off the train and. Um, this random guy in some old larder picked me up and drove me to a border town where I went and no one spoke any English and I had to um, pay some money to get a visa extension and then they and then I had to walk through five kilometers of like border crossing with 28 kilos of shit on my back and um, and hitchhiked my way 300 cro- kilometers across uh, or 300 yeah 300 kilometers across Latvia to get into Riga, which was the city where I paid for accommodation that night. And, um, yeah, not really dangerous or anything, but just really annoying. Um, I can't think of a dangerous one off the top of my head. I've had plenty of them, but they're just not coming to mind. Yeah, but even that, just a, just the amount of how that would have put you out when you think you're you're set in your destination. Oh, I, <laughs> I was fucking furious. Like I, like, I was so angry because it's three in the morning. I'd just woken up. And I was like irrational, moody, and then they didn't speak English. And like, I was just like so stupid. Like, like, you know, when you get that angry that you just, um, you're worried you're going to hit someone or do something stupid. And, um, but like carrying all that weight, I was walking through, I walked through the border town and I'm walking through, um, really quiet road very early in the morning. And, um, there were two wild deer playing there in the Riga, like wilderness, yeah. And I'm just looking out, and it's just beautiful weather, pristine countryside, and the mount, the anger just went away, and I was all good. <laughs> and then a truck, a truck driver picked me up, and I was good to go after that. But um, I thought you said was, the truck hit the deer and splattered blood all over you, and then <laughs> <laughs> nah, they, they, they were fucking like, like oh, 10 meters away from me at one stage. I, uh, I thought if I had a rifle and opportunity, I probably would have um put one in my belly. But I just enjoyed it for what it was. If you could have had your spear going, you could have nearly speared one. <laughs> yeah, they were that close, man. It was a, it was a, it was an amazing experience, and um, yeah, that that feeling of being tired and angry just it's not a great combination. I'd be, I reckon, be tired, angry, and scary. I've never, I've been put in a couple shit situations overseas, but not that bad. But getting um, taken to the wrong city and stuff like that, and in the plane and. <laughs> Had to sleep in airports with me kids and stuff like that. It's not fun. Oh, well, yeah. On the wrong side of the airport, on the outside, not the inside. So it's a, it's, it's a dangerous one. Oh, not a dangerous You're just laying there the whole night. You can't sleep. you got your hand on all your kids and <laughs> sort of thing. But I had, a, I had two guys rec- uh, maybe a year and a half ago now off the Sunshine Coast, and they're both relatively new Spiros, but like fairly decent freedivers. And I took them shore diving and – like a lot of shore diving here, it gets good kind of like four or 500 metres out sometimes and it's still relatively shallow. And um, they sort of like we got into this sort of area where it was about 12 or 13 metres deep and, and the spearfishing started to get better And because um, most people don't swim out that far to go spearing and boats, boats don't want to come in that close because it's just like, oh, I might as well short of if we're going to go there. And there's this kind of this sort of weird sweet spot. Yeah. Anyway, these two these two guys had been spearing with me all the way out, and it was it was cool. And then they they both came up to me and they were like, "We're cold. We're going to go back." And um, is that all right? And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, yeah, 
go, fellas. I'll, I'll be right. I'll stay here by myself. And the spearing actually got pr- pretty good. Like I shot a, I think I shot a good, decent parrot and maybe something else. And then I shot a small mackerel. And then, um, but these sharks came in and they're all um, dusky whalers again. Um, two or three of them, but they were small and dumb. And, um, and I had a float on and the float kept drifting back and I had a fish on it. So I kept pulling it towards me and I'm trying to swim backwards and my legs are cramping up and, um, and it, it, it had been an hour and a half or so since those two had gone in and these sharks followed me all the way until I was in knee deep water. And, um, I mean, that was a, I don't know. Well, I wasn't in, there wasn't any, any danger, I guess, but it was just one of those sketchy stories. That's a, <laughs> Oh, yeah. always when they're following you in, it's not a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and you don't have a boat to jump onto no. or a dive boat with you or anything like that. Yeah, I haven't done too much shore diving, only around a local beach, Eddie Bay and Innisfail. That's probably the only time I've ever done real shore. But another type of shore dive, we did river diving. We used to, when, we, when I was 12, 13, we used to swim all the rivers around here locally. And back then there was sort of known as no crocs, so we swam where there are five meter crocs now. And wow! And so we yeah. used to swim the whole river, spearing black brim and barra and red brim and stuff like that. So, so has it changed? Has it changed because of weather or or um, like allow, not allowing hunting and stuff like that? Or just the culling. Had stopped and then just they've regrown like stocks are just replenished now, the, and now they're very territorial. And even where as his farm is right up the top of the river, then if you, that's like pristine rainforest, clear water, and it's crocs there now, too. And they're another few miles up past that. And there's big sets of rapids they have to get over, so they're just pushing up and up the rivers. So it's do you have a wet season, a proper wet season there? Yeah, yeah, we have yeah proper tropical wet season. Yeah, it's, it's the wettest but, part of Australia where we is are. Is that when they get up and they walk further up? Yeah. Well, what happens is when the when the rivers really flood, it's actually easier for them to get up the rivers because it's higher than the rapids. So yeah, yeah. Swim up the swim up the rapids, but when there's no no water, then it's harder for them to get up because there's a lot of rock and stuff and waterfalls and stuff, but. Yeah, the, when the river's up, I've, I've got just down the road in Tully, there's a um, uh, whitewater rafting company, and you think when it's when it's rough, uh, when it's rainy and, and lots of water, they let out of the dam and stuff, you think, oh, it's going to be crazy, but it's, they're like, no, it's actually the opposite. You just cruise down the river because there's, it fills in all the holes <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cheapest, there's no way I'm doing whitewater rafting up there. no. <laughs> Not a chance in hell. No, but yeah, it's, it's actually, I don't know even know if they do it anymore because of COVID. I actually haven't noticed it happening. They probably still do. I don't know. Do you but, get, do you get like negative feedback and shit with the, all the Great Barrier Reef bleaching bullshit that, uh, well, well, sorry, not bullshit, the, the issues confronting the reef? As a farmer, do you get um, hassled about stuff? Yeah, we've had actually been at my, my farm personally has been on part of a smear campaign to prove that we're wrecking the reef and all this sort of stuff. But they did a, a lot of propaganda in the video. They took a photo of a video of the our farm pretty much straight after 200 mils of rain the night before 
And they're like, look at these farms. Look how much muddy water comes off these farms. But they didn't show the massive landslides and all that that happens in, in those types of downfalls that happen in the rainforest above this, above the farming areas. Like there's so much more other stuff happens than just farming. And what they don't, what they seem to forget is banana farmers also go to the reef. They love the reef. They want to, we're trying our best to, preserve the reef and the other thing is when we buy fertilizer we're trying to put it on our trees we don't want it going to the reef we actually want our tree to soak it up and and use it so why would we want to be they make it we're trying to wreck the reef that's the way they sort of smear and and push their campaigns so it's yeah I've, i've got a there's a lot of stuff i actually did i had to go to dpi today and do a proper um course just on um, uh, reef rescue and all that sort of stuff and um, how to control your fertiliser runoff and all that sort of stuff and how much fertiliser, because they actually put a a limit on how much fertiliser we're allowed to use now. Okay. Is is that a good thing? Oh, it's definitely a good thing. You always got to have control of your nitrogen, your phosphorus that that head out. But like the lady explained today, they're, they're sort of silly. They've, They've put a control on the nitrogen and the phosphorus that leave the area. But they, there's so many other elements that are a part of a fertiliser they haven't put a control on. Mm. There's 10 other elements that they're like, oh, well, don't worry about that. Like they don't even know what that the other elements do to the reef. Yeah, yeah. So they've put a control on two of the elements. So, yeah, I, and I, I've spoke to... Um, uh, Chris Bolton and stuff, they talk about coral bleaching all the time. They'll, they'll come over a reef, and even Strick spoke about it. They come over a reef, and it's it's um, bleached, and you go back there in three weeks' time, and it's back to life. Yeah. This is the, this is the other problem. A lot, a lot of the claims are like once it's bleached, it's like that for hundreds of years. But I've talked to a number of people up there that say, like, you can have bleaching events, and then the reef's back to – a decent health within a matter of weeks. Yeah, or there's a bleaching event on the, on that reef, and then you go to the other side of the reef, and it's probably the most pristine reef you've ever seen. Just I watched some guy do a flyover, and he claimed that aerial photography was how he was studying bleaching on the reef. And I'm just kind of like, um, I don't. I just I thought if that's your your only methodology for assessing coral bleaching, it seems fraught with uh, opportunities for failure. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you're looking at a out of a plane window. Doesn't really matter how powerful y- your camera is. Like, it's just not going to. I, I I don't understand enough about it to to be an accurate judge. But I just sort of just looking on it, I was quite skeptical. Yeah, and uh, one thing uh, there's one thing that people don't understand is coral reefs actually emit a gas that make the cloud above them do um, turn to a rain cloud. So they actually. Yeah bit of gas that starts rain and that's how they they fight against coral bleaching and i just find this year well there'll be no coral bleaching because it's one of the wettest years we've had and so usually a wet winter usually your your, your dry time's a bit wet as well so just it's just seasonal everything's seasonal and you get bad seasons and good seasons just like a drought and then there's no drought it's it's the same thing so so the the, the- so the claims about the, the reef in terms of its health and stuff, 
you're are you skeptical in general or what do you think is it getting is it getting worse is it is it in i've seen the reef's been in the same shape out of here has it as has been for years the only time i see a change in the reef is after a cyclone sometimes the rocks that i've got good marks on and good craze on some of them those big bombies have been flipped on their head but that's nature that's the waves doing that that's not anything else and that's oh, yeah. they'll say oh the, well, the the global warming's made the cyclone worse but cyclone's been around for billions of years <laughs> we've only been here a couple of hundred so i don't don't think I think those those corals know that that's going to happen. Was part of I, del- I deliberately led you into controversy there, bro. Look at you, you started it. <laughs> now I'm going to delete this one out too. <laughs> <laughs> Taz edited yarns. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's probably some back further where I've edited out because I was thinking about it. I said, we're, we're coming into a good yarn here. I want to get rid of this other shit that we were a bit down on. So <laughs> we might be edited. <laughs> all right. This is the last question for you. Uh, one thing we all could do to be a good count. Sheepers. I just want to say something cliche, I guess. But, uh, um, just listen to each other. Don't dismiss people just because they are belong to a different tribe than you. Yeah? Mm. Even if you consider yourself a, a conservative person and you're listening to a progressive person or whatever, like so they're just labels. Yeah, talk about uh, talk about the issues, not about the bullshit. Yeah, don't profile. <laughs> it's boring. Makes <laughs> life shit. <laughs> it's so yeah. it's, it's 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 pretty hard not to profile someone and then you think then when you meet them you're like why the fuck did i profile them you had a look yeah. at them and you sort of you've already judged them before you actually spoke to them and then you're like why do i do that and i, I reckon everyone does it but they just it's done in different levels and it just depends how much you tell yourself before you do do it so yeah that's a good one Last week, Daniel said to get off your phones. So that was another good one. <laughs> that's fucking. That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to try ask this question at the end of each podcast. So oh, it's a good thing to end on, Tony. Yeah. So, mate, about time we actually spoke to each other face to face. Hundred percent. I had a. I actually did a podcast with Isaac on his podcast today. So check out Noob Spiro. It's my favorite spear fishing and podcast like in in my top five at least and um besides <laughs> uh yarns with as and taz and taz yarns and my own no <laughs> your other four podcasts yeah yeah gotta yeah. gotta plug them first geez what i love like my head, voice like head talks but just australian and bro science <laughs> dead talks <laughs> no, taz talks taz talks so yeah check him out um so if you when you turn it on the, the music goes <laughs> That's how I was gonna bring you in and I've got to do it. <laughs> so check it out. He's actually, yeah, if you really wanna just have a delve into spearfishing and there's so many good people on there. So check it out and um 
yeah, as you can see, he's pretty lighthearted like myself, so we like talking a bit of shit. Probably our best podcast happened in between podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> talking shit. <laughs> uh, as usual. No, check it out. Thanks a lot, Shrek. Uh, Isaac Daly, his name is. So, Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. See you later, eh? All right. Thanks a lot again, Isaac Daly, Shrek from the Noob Spiro podcast. You want to check him out on Instagram, Facebook. He's also got a website, www.noobspiro.com. You can um, leave a podcast review. And also, he's got a um, 99 recipes book coming out shortly. So if you've got anybody who knows how to, knows a good um, fish or any type of seafood recipe, Send it in there and you might get chucked in that book. Yep, I said chucked. All right. Fishkins AU. The, the only shirts I wear, the reef. It's only, only stuff. Fishkins or swim. That's my fucking motto and I'm sticking to it. Uh, there's going to be, there's new designs coming out very shortly. Um, thanks to COVID, it's held it back a bit. But I've been insured, assured that it's going to be happening in a couple of weeks. So keep your eyes out and um, yeah. Fishkins are you all the way? Check them out. Fucking love their shirts. All right, everybody. Turu. See you next week. Keep your legs together.